but you know at the same time the greatest power is to to like be in completely in touch with our wild self to know but then to be able to have that control um to navigate how we respond to the world because I think sometimes we think we need to suppress our emotions in order to control our behavior but I don't think that that is the case I think we can be completely wild in how we feel but actually it's training ourselves and it's a skill like emotional regulation is a skill we we're not suppressing how we feel we're feeling to the full extent what we're doing is pausing to then be able to control how we react. And then we get the best of both worlds. There's nothing more social than sharing a spritz with friends. And Spritzing Hour shares the stories of those who bring us together over great food and drink. I'm Claire Warner, co-founder of Acorn, a range of non-alcoholic aperitifs. And I'm on a mission to prove just how important great food and drink are in connecting us to one another. I want to expose the bitter truth from the rule breakers and game changers who are turning the table on traditional food and drink culture and reshaping our social lives for the better. I'll be hearing from chefs, growers, bartenders, writers, and a whole host of people who, like me, are curious and passionate about how we can enhance that simple act of grabbing a seat at the table and eating and drinking together. Hello friends and welcome to Spritzing Hour. It feels like an age since uh, we recorded one of these, so it's really great to be getting back behind the mic with someone who is a real life ray of sunshine. Today we are joined by Poppy Jamie, who is the founder of the mental well-being app Happy Not Perfect and also the host of the Not Perfect podcast. Poppy is a mental health activist a Forbes 30 Under 30, an entrepreneur and a TV presenter. In 2016, Poppy launched the first talk show on Snapchat, Pillow Talk with Poppy, and went on to launch her two enterprises dedicated to creating accessible tools to help soothe the stress and anxiety levels of users and to boost our mind health. Poppy runs happiness workshops for thousands to institutions and companies across the UK and the US, from Cambridge University to the New York Times. She's also a global goals keeper for the United Nations and studied social policy at the London School of Economics. So I feel like we're in a really safe and soothing pair of hands, which is of course what we all need a bit of right now. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome Poppy, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm really well and so excited to be on your podcast after such a fun time on mine. Yes, we had a lovely chat and and it's, uh, you know, I was just saying, it's, a, it's I feel a little bit of pressure chatting to you because you do such a wonderful job on your uh, podcast. Um, so, so I said in the intro that it was, you know, I feel like we're in a safe and soothing pair of hands with you and that actually you're, I always think of you as this sort of real life ray of sunshine. So it's nice to kind of have you on our podcast, bringing you all of, bringing us all of this lovely positivity. So thanks for joining us today. 
Oh, well, thanks for having me. And that is so kind to say. What a lovely introduction. Well, that's it now. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the way that we started our, um, the podcast uh, that I did with you recently, I thought it was a really lovely way to start, which was you asking me, uh, you know, whether there was a quote that guides me or, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, what, what was my inspiration or what guides me? So I'm going to throw the question back at you. You know, what, what really inspires or guides your work? Um, I think I am just so passionate about telling people that their brain can change. I think when I first had my education around what our brain is, what it does for us and how we can change it, my life went from, I did a completely 180 flip. And it is an education that so many of us never had. And, you know, I grew up believing that your DNA influenced you and, you know, you're going to be just like your parents, your grandparents. And actually our DNA only has 30% influence over our life. And actually 70% is the environments we choose to be in um, top down. So our thoughts and thinking, and I just think, God, that is so empowering. That's that, um, that research, because we have 70% control on how we feel, how we are. And that to me is the most just it drives me every single day to just to try and get that message to more and more people mm. what was the um what what led you into learning about the brain in that way where how did you sort of begin that education or where did you begin that education well I think uh it definitely started from a young age because my mom is a psychotherapist and so she was a physiotherapist before she was a psychotherapist so when we were little uh she would always talk about and this is now what 25 27 years ago she would always say you know everyone's physical ailments they think it's physical but I promise you it's all coming from something psychological and uh and she was I mean she was a Reiki healer when we were growing up. I mean, so we were introduced to this idea of energy healing and the fact that um, our body was an extension of our mind. They weren't two separate things. Um, and my father, on the other hand, suffered from chronic stress and anxiety. So I saw this really interesting dynamic between um, someone who, you know, and my dad, and I'm sure he'll say it, he's, he's, he has quite a, quite a stiff mentality, you know, who's very certain that no, you know, my mom was like this, this is why, this is how I am. And it's been amazing to see this change over 20 years, this complete transformation in someone's mental health. Um, and, and, and just seeing that, that journey. And then for me, when I was 23, I'd moved to LA, I was uh, hosting a television show and my whole world completely changed. And I, I just had this enormous kind of just anxiety that almost like took over my life and uh, chronic stress. And from my own experience, uh, led me to then uh, team up with a neuroscientist um, at the university close to me. And that's really, it was self-exploration. And then I started interviewing world experts all around uh, this subject. And and so, yeah, definitely inspired when I was little, but then very much completely took over my 20s because I wanted to cure or solve manage my own problems better mm-hmm. was there an aha moment at that time where it all sort of fell into place for you 
I think learning about neuroplasticity, I remember going, oh God, that seems like a kind of a big fancy word. And then there's just like really simple idea that our brains are moldable and rewirable. And I suddenly knew there was a way out from this kind of horrific anxiety and stress and wasn't sleeping and I had terrible digestion. I just was living just like in my eyes, the worst life I could possibly imagine. Like every day was so unenjoyable. I wasn't looking forward to to it. And arguably I was living my dream. I was, you know, I was this TV presenter. I was flying from LA to London. I was doing all the things I dreamt of when I was little, but yet it all just seemed awful. And, um, and it was that aha moment when I knew change was possible and finally understood what I could do to change. Mm. And what were some of the things that you initially started to do to help help your own stress and anxiety? So it was um, definitely finding these like small, um, a, well, no, let me rephrase that question. First of all, just getting to know myself. You know, the ancient Greeks say, know thyself. And, um, you know, it's been around for centuries. But in all honesty, I didn't know myself because when I was growing up, I lived a version of myself I thought I should be. Um, We're conditioned to, you know, be good at this or behave in a certain way or operate in a way that, you know, a girl should. And that lots of work has been done in the last three years to completely redefine what even gender means. Um, But, you know, I was just sort of that person that, you know, like I was, I mean, like, like, I mean, it's the greatest addiction facing humanity. We all have an addiction to approval and validation. And I think I probably was an extreme addict for that and wanted the gold star at school and wanted to be told well done. And, um, and suddenly it didn't matter what I did. It was almost impossible to have any approval. And it sent me spiraling because, you know, who was I without approval? Who was I without people? saying like yes that's good or whatever and um and actually what did I even enjoy I think I was like acting out a life that I thought I would enjoy because I was told that that's what success would look like um and so I sacrificed everything relationships seeing friends because I just thought if I worked harder I then will I'll then be successful and then I can have a relationship then I can see friends then I you know I was you know I was what else that chronic kind of waiting for the finish line to be able to begin life. So actually taking time to get to know myself through journaling, reflection, I signed up and this was again, I mean, seven years ago when, you know, nowadays all of these resources are so much more accessible, but then I would, you know, I would scour the internet to find things, you know, those just basic journaling questions to, uh, and I, and I started, and astrology bizarrely became a really great tool because I found astrology, um, and look, a lot of people find it very woo-woo, but I actually find it a a great framework for self-exploration because you can read your sign and go, actually, that doesn't resonate or that does resonate, but all they are is, you know, thought provokers for you to say, does that ring true for me or does that not? So I think the first part of it was getting to know myself. And the second part of it was all the tools that I then later put into the app and actually have just included in my book. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I read something on Instagram yesterday, I think that um, I can't remember, I'm going to paraphrase, but it was, um, you know, when you're when you're living a version of yourself, you know, if you're living very far away from who you really are, that is 
where anxiety and stress and panic often manifest, you know, that in that space between you and the version of you that you are living is where we really create a lot of anxiety for ourselves, which I personally can recognize. And it sounds like that's what was happening for you. Absolutely. It's so true because when you're living life, not according to your honest, truest, most authentic kind of, you know, I guess like being guided by your soul, you have to constantly think, oh, what shall I do now? Rather than just have that inner knowing of, oh, I'm going to respond to this situation like this. How do I feel about that decision? Like we kind of, we know, but when we're acting outside of our integrity, that's when I think we're craving all the advice from other people. We're looking to other people to, to kind of tell us how we should go. We're terrified of making, making our own decisions. Um, and, um, and then I think, you know, we can end up on a very fast train to a destination we don't want to go to. And uh, someone gave me the great analogy of when a plane takes off, if it just uh, it goes two degrees um, to the right, it ends in a completely different destination to, and it's just two degrees, but two degrees over, you know, 500,000 miles actually ends up quite a big difference from its initial, you know, desired ending. Mm-hmm. Or ending destination. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly trying to course correct and, you know, put 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 actions in place to get you back to where you hopefully want to, to get to, which is to yeah, be... Yeah, and I was... Yeah, and like, you know, when people talk about the intuition, that very, very quiet voice that isn't very loud and our inner critic is that very, very loud voice. And so you've got to really work hard to calm the inner critic to even like hear that intuitive voice. Um, And, you know, often when I think when we are disconnected, we also then become disconnected from our bodies. And that's when I think we when you know and I, I in in a lot of the workshops um I do when I'm speaking to a lot of people when you know you ask the question well how does your the, your body feel a lot of people don't actually know because so much of their life is out of alignment so we actually numb and I think that is you know I often ask the question how do you know when you're out of alignment and I think is when you actually are almost have no communication with your own emotions mm-hmm. and when we start to realign our uh, relationship with our own emotions I think that's when suddenly things begin to flow Mm-mm. but I think um those uh you know some people I'm, I'm talking from my own personal experience you know feeling things can be hard you know you're conditioned in a way to not feel to not recognize the feelings because in doing so then you have to deal with that feeling and you have to feel you know sit in the uncomfortable sit in the hard stuff and sometimes you know you're busy or you've got stuff to get on with and that stuff is you know I've often felt like I'll deal with that issue that feeling that thought later because I've got other things to get on with and you know like the plane analogy over time your feelings are just constantly you know put away in boxes to be dealt with at another time and all of a sudden you're left with either very numb sensation and also a pile of like issues and feelings that you have to unpack at some point because otherwise they will come back and manifest in a thousand different other ways. Oh my gosh, completely. In the first chapter of my book, I write about that. I'm like, you know, 
emotions are like naughty school children. You just, they just don't do what you want them to do. You know, they talk when you don't want them to talk. They act out when you don't want them to act out. And they just seem often so unmanageable. And, uh, and I don't think, you know, we've, ever really spoken about in like culture at large this idea of uh having a relationship with your emotions and a relationship you know like a normal relationship it's about like communication it's about you know creating space to actually hear what the other person is saying um and um and 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 I think we are having a massive re-education I think the mental health movement has has done that um but it is a it is a it is a just it is a daily negotiation and what um I think what's been so integral to my work is understanding that every emotion is um, reframing them as, um, you know, a dose of wisdom that we can unlock. And that I then get in a weird way to your point. Yes. Emotions are a bit, are, are terrifying, but as soon as we start to accept, um, other people's, I would say emotions, we start to begin to accept our own as well. And so, you know, I think often we don't even, it can be uncomfortable even to know what to do if someone in front of you is, for example, hysterically crying. Like, do you hug them? Do you not? You know, it's the, um, and actually when I think, if we all become better at emoting in front of each other, gosh, working from home and doorbell, um, if we all become better at emoting in front of each other, I think we then give ourselves permission to be able to emote freely with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and would you also um you know, I think that we have problems naming emotions as well. And, and, you know, I think when I listen to lots of other speakers on this in, in terms of like as children, you know, how do we talk about how we feel and give and put language around the things that we're feeling so that we can emote um, and we have the language of, of emotion as well, which is very often overlooked or, you know, not um you know as, as as parents perhaps we don't want to label what our children are feeling because then I don't know it's more difficult to deal with them or I, I mean the language of emotion is just so critical I think and there could be more t- done to help us express our emotions through language that's the point yeah, there's a, I interviewed a great woman called uh, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, and she talks about the diffusion technique, which is um, every single morning you actually ask yourself how you feel, but you know, but you include the words today in my mind. So today my mind feels. Um, and what you're doing is a you're kind of having separating yourself from your emotion because you are not your emotions you are not how you feel Um, and I think that's really important because I think that helps us uh, become less uh, kind of overwhelmed by them if we kind of create that slight distance um, and that third uh, person perspective so my mind uh, today feels so my mind it's not me my mind feels and today temporary temporary and I think that is so important to remind ourselves because then we are okay with the intensity of them because it's like a rainstorm we don't go oh my god we know it's only going to last for a temporary time and so we kind of enjoy it we enjoy the variation and I have to say I really enjoy um I think it's Anne Lamott uh she's an amazing author and I I wrote one of her quotes uh when I was writing the other day and she said 
you know, I want to sit at a dinner party with anyone who is willing to tell me how they really feel because then you're past the bullshit of small talk. And I, I, I really enjoy the people who say, I was fucking angry yesterday or I was so disappointed. And you're like, oh, I, you know, and suddenly you're like, yes, you know what? I was a bit angry too. And um, I just think that is kind of what makes conversation so fun is where we can just be that expressive. And I definitely think for me, my idols are definitely the people who um, are just, you know, unapologetic with um, adding emotion to how they feel. But in the same sentence, when you can feel intensely, but also be able to, um, uh, not let that uh, dictate your behavior. And I think this is the where the nuance comes in, where I think sometimes in this mental health conversations, we lose nuance. And so, yes, feel. And I talk about my book, like the wild self. I'm, I just, um, I, you know, as women, we were so conditioned to be the opposite of wild, to be very prim, pruned, even just that, you know, the beauty industry, and don't get me wrong, I'm obsessed with the beauty industry. But, you know, in the sense that we were, you know, kind of like taught, conditioned to look like dolls, to have everything kind of all together. And actually this idea of being so wild is like so intriguing and fascinating to me, Um, like unkempt. I like kind of love it. Um, But, you know, at the same time, the greatest power is to to like be in completely in touch with our wild self to know, but then to be able to have that control um, to navigate how we respond to the world. Because I think sometimes we think we need to suppress our emotions in order to control our behavior. But I don't think that that is the case. I think we can be completely wild in how we feel, but actually it's training ourselves and it's a skill. Like emotional regulation is a skill. We, we're not suppressing how we feel. We're feeling to the full extent. What we're doing is pausing to then be able to control how we react. And then we get the best of both worlds. Mm, God, I can really feel myself in those sort of feeling moments and then just pausing, breathing, creating some space and then taking that power into you know, action. You know, Take the emotion and lead it into action. Super powerful stuff. Do you find um, in your work... Um, you know, mentioned, you know, women and feeling, you know, they have to be pruned and neat and tidy. Do, do, do you notice any particular um, similarities in the way that women approach the, the, what, what they feel or, you know, I, I'm, I, I deal with imposter syndrome all the time. And I feel like when I talk to other women, that is a recurring theme. Do you see there as being um, additional challenges for women dealing with those sorts of issues, those sorts of mental health issues? Or is this, is that is it not gender specific necessarily? I was just, funnily enough, I was just considering that. I thought to myself, is that gender specific? Um, I would say the research does heavily skew towards women suffering from imposter syndrome over men. Um, and but I would also say that there's, I'm sure, a lot of men that can identify with imposter syndrome. So, um, but. I think that um, I think 
again, you know, we're taught, and it's not a bad, this thing, it's not a bad thing, we're conditioned like this, but I think we're taught to be so honest, right? This idea of like being anything then, you know, who you like kind of, being anything but the actual truth is you know you're you, you you're lying or you're being deceptive and that would be awful so um and I think you know so I set I founded two, two companies and um and they were both venture capital backed so I had to do a lot of raising capital like millions of dollars and I definitely felt you know, and this is just anecdotally. So this is definitely like not me speaking for everyone, but I definitely anecdotally felt that when I was in an investor meeting, I'd be like, yeah, but you know, like it's not, um, those numbers are probably not that great. And, you know, we're, we're working on this and I, and you know, I was just so honest because I would hate to think that I was taking anyone's money that didn't know the full picture. They didn't know our challenges. They knew the good things, but whereas my male counterparts were like, this business is going to be Uber. (laughs) It's going to be the biggest one in two years. And, and I really, struggled with this because I suddenly thought well just you know stop complaining about it why don't you just be a bit more like that but it felt so difficult for me to do that um and um and you know and I think that kind of this relates to imposter syndrome that I think it's again it's such a nuanced conversation because if imposter syndrome is being driven by our inner critic which is, you know, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? Um, yada, yada, yada. Um, so many people are better than you. And, you know, I have that, you know, continuously. I think that's when actually it's it's something that we can manage because it's learning those metacognition tools to actually challenge that voice. And so one of my biggest inspirations who I write um in uh, who I write about my book a lot is uh, Byron Katie, and she is in her seventies and in her forties. She was uh, she was a manic depressive. She um, had lots of eating problems, and so she'd gone to a, a, a kind of a, a treatment center. And she was lying on the floor and she had this kind of big awakening that this imposter voice in her head was not her. And and actually, like our soul is just full of love, like underneath our imposter voice, like we are unlimited. And um, and so she developed these four questions, which I use a lot. And the four questions is, is this true? Can I be 100 percent sure this is true? How does this thought make me feel and who would I be without this thought? So when we apply this to imposter syndrome, like, you know, I'm not good enough. Somebody else would be better. Is this true? Well, yes, I do think it's true. I do think I'm not very good. And I do think someone else would be much better. Can I be 100% sure this is true? Well, no, I can't be 100% sure. How does this thought make me feel? Insecure, lacking, um, doubtful, um, just bad about myself, low energy. Um, Who would I be without this thought? Confident, excited, passionate, full of energy. And you're suddenly like, oh, So the the root of our suffering and the root of our limitation is us. Yeah, yeah. And that's just so powerful when you explain those four key questions, then all of a sudden, then that, that you, you regain the power then to, to step into your power 
and to not be afraid of it. I think very often imposter syndrome can be <clears throat> just your mind's way of perhaps trying to protect you, trying Always. to not expose you to risk because we're very, you know, biologically risk averse. And it's, you know, this voice kind of just gone a little bit awry and, uh, you know, trying to do its best to not put us in, har- in harm's way, but, but actually, you know, limiting us limiting our our belief in ourselves it's it's so true and that's I also think that's a really good point you just said in terms of you know our brain it's it's its ability to protect us um I'm so sorry can you hear that noise it's the builders outside sorry my my dog just made a Uh, okay sorry sorry Stuart um just typical isn't it when you're doing a podcast um the um but just to go back that's a really good point that you just made about you know it's our brain's way to protect um us because I think sometimes we can we can get a bit angry with our brains like oh god why are you so stressed why are you anxious making me feel like this and actually when we start to befriend our brain and we know that our brain is just like a very passionate mother that doesn't want us to get into any situations it's very kind it's wants it wants to protect us but the problem is it just gets it's a bit um, oversensitive so it's like a car alarm that thinks when a cat is sitting on it it's being burgled and um, you know it's just a way to overprotective mother and uh, when we realize like it's you know it's problem is it cares too much I think it's a nice way to like delicately have this compassionate conversation with our mind and our and our ego our, uh, I like to call my bitch in a critic Regina because she's a mean girl um and uh and actually realize that um yes you are trying to protect me but um sometimes and um sorry I always I, I love to credit everyone who's like given me all the different advice but um um, uh, an amazing psychologist, uh, Jessamy Hibbard, she said this, when we're in growth, it doesn't feel good. And that's okay. And it's, it's weird. Like we're, again, we think that life should always feel good, but actually it's okay when it doesn't feel good. So when it doesn't feel good, rather than panic and go, well, this means, this feeling means I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not right for this. I'm not good enough. As soon as we're in growth mode, we go, ah, this is a good feeling. I'm feeling uncomfortable. So this means I'm growing. Mm-mm, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your brilliant app um, and, um, you know, talk us through the the what, what's available for people on, on the app if they haven't yet discovered it, because there's so much there for people to to unlock. So the app, um, I developed this four years ago now, and um, it was looking at how can we um, look after our minds every single day? Because mental health, if you are committed to looking after your mental health, it is the only secret behind it is repetition. And I think we often forget about that. We can, you know, do all of these things once, twice, and, you know, and then we live out Einstein's definition um, of insanity, doing the same thing, expecting a different result. So the app was, and I would read all these books and then I would forget everything I read. And I then would like have a moment of feeling kind of anxious or stressed or whatever else. And I'd be like, damn it, what does page 79 say? (laughs) And so this idea of the app was, okay, well, we know that there are research-backed exercises that we can do every single day 
how do I put them in a place that makes me easy, makes it easy to do them? Because for example, I love journaling, but at the time I was traveling so much and I was just terrified of this journal being lost. And suddenly, you know, my inner reality, deepest, darkest secrets would then be on display. I have since written a book and put them all in there. So I don't know why I was worried. So <laughs> worried because now they really will be out to the world. But anyway, I'm going to, I'm processing that as I speak. Um, but the app um, is this, um, it's, it, it, on the app, there's this happiness workout and there's a sleep wind down and it takes less than five minutes and it's a game and it takes the science behind happiness and positive psychology and puts it into a less than five minute experience. And I actually carried out a research study across the US and Europe to ask people what they were doing to manage stress. And so it was clear to me that three out of four people were suffering from severe to, uh, suffering uh, suffering from severe stress. Um, but they didn't know what to do. You know what? I'm just going to go and switch rooms because this fucking build out here is super mental wellness. Sorry, Stuart, but you know what? Just we're just going to you do you, babe. It. You do it exactly. Okay. Hope you can edit out that big growly noise at night as well. Back, back in the room, um, and. Um, um, my point, I was talking about the app, talking about the app, talking about the app. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well done, thanks, Joe. So I was doing this research study um, and found, you know, three out of four people were suffering from medium to severe levels of stress. And I asked, well, what do you do about it? Mm, uh, uh, well, um, hardly any replies. I was maybe 20% of people said, I've tried meditation but it didn't work. And I suddenly realized that less than 17% of people can usually stick to a meditation practice. So surely if you can't meditate, like which, you know, there needs to be another way for you just to have a couple of minutes to reflect on your thoughts, reflect on how you feel and, uh, and be able to just to start training a mindset to help you be your best self. And so that's why I wanted to create an app that was actually the opposite of a meditation app. It was active. It asked you questions. It didn't require you to close your eyes. So you could do it in the office if you wanted to, um, and find something that, you know, and I spoke to a lot of, you know, mums and they were like, honestly, this idea of finding 20 minutes in the morning when I've got three young screaming children, Children is an absolute joke. And so again, I wanted to do something, it wanted to create something that actually could fit into someone's day and they could do on their commute or whatever. And the sleep wind down then uh, was developed a little bit later, but that was then full of all the research backed tools that helps you wind your mind down to get a better night's sleep. And so if you start processing your thoughts before you go to bed, you actually get into your deep sleep quicker because in the first two hours of your sleep, you are processing the day. Um, and, um, and that was it just the research is just absolutely phenomenal but I just wanted to ensure I'm lucky I have a job that you know uh basically I have to read all these research studies but for most people you don't you don't have time and so I wanted to take all of this work and just give you the tools so you can get all the benefits that having to do all of this um and so uh, and then we're just about to launch um a manifesting workout in the app so this idea that again you know um a setting intentions visualizing the science is amazing when you visualize your brain can't can't tell between you imagining something and you actually doing something so um again all the science behind you know creating a future you want 
um, I've just combined into this these digital rituals that are on the app. I'm just going to pause. I think we your internet just dropped out a second. Oh, it's for you back now. Cool. Um, do you are you manifesting? What what are you what are you? Is it is it impolite to ask what you're manifesting at the moment? No, I think that um, I've actually just done a. I've just actually just written a course on how to manifest. So I, I'm <clears throat> I'm fascinated about manifesting. I think um, what my biggest discovery with manifesting is um, trying to surrender and letting go of like the the idea of like you know I want this amount of money and. And this, you don't really manifest like how you're going to get it or whatever. Do you want to mean? So actually, it's more like I want to manifest a job that, oh, and I, I do have it, but you know, in the in the future, I'm like, I'm, I want to manifest the the job that creatively fulfills me. And because if you start to think about what you want and how it will fulfill you, all the other things like some things, you know, what the secret I think focused on which is like the car and the house and all of these like materialistic goals I think it leaves you really unsatisfied at the end of it because we all know we all know someone who's got that lovely car and that lovely house but is also deeply miserable underneath it all mm-hmm. so I think it's uh, for me what's been game-changing um for kind of my manifesting practice is really to think about, well, how do I want to feel in the future and uh and that's uh so you know I want to feel like in really supportive like relationships to be living near friends and I didn't even think that before you know the whole idea of like you know the beauty of living with near friends because I was traveling I was on a plane every single week and I actually lockdown is something that's taught me that how lovely it is to make sure that you create a local environment that fulfills you don't have to travel hours and miles away to be able to meet up with a pal Mm-mm. actually that's you you brought me on to you know the next sort of topic which is to talk a little bit about friendships and social well-being because it's important to I think to both of us you know um do you think that the pandemic will have a, an impact on on how we view our relationships and and put more effort or emphasis on spending quality time with each other because we haven't been able to do that over the last year Absolutely. I've just, um, at the moment, I'm just completing um, this applied neuroscience um, certificate. And um, part of the course was looking deeply into the social brain and actually the greatest factor that influenced mental well-being was social connections we um arguably our brain developed in the way it it did um was because of movement because we had to move and get food to survive and also to communicate with people and so that's why you know we have things like mirror neurons so we actually you know we uh you know feelings are contagious we mimic other people's behavior and um so the neuroscience and research behind why socializing is just so critical is like absolutely phenomenal from that perspective from a personal perspective um it is absolutely everything right I think if you're with a good group of friends you could just 
be anywhere. You could be sitting on a curb <laughs> having um, an acorn spritz and be having the best time ever. Mm. And um, and um, I think this pandemic has shown us that supportive social connections can get us through anything, right? Like the world changed more than we could ever have imagined. And I think that, you know, people's quizzes with friends online or you know those long kind of like just um processing phone calls where you vented out all your frustrations were just totally critical I think um some sometimes the best therapists can be our best friends um and so yeah I definitely think my my friendships in particular I, I don't know what I'd do without them Mm-mm. I um have spoke, spoken to a few of my friends who have mentioned that they're a little nervous about getting back out into the world of socializing a because they are worried that they've lost the knack to be social and what what will we talk about and how will we connect and then b um you know the fear of getting back into like this culture of busyness like constantly rushing around from you know meeting to meeting um uh you know dinner date to dinner day and there's that sort of like hesitancy or apprehension about getting back out out there do you do you recognize that absolutely i think that I've heard that a lot, the anxiety that is now kind of rearing its head in terms of having to adapt back to a new normal. Mm -hmm. And also we've done so well adapting to what life has become now, which is being, you know, on our, you know, being less social, being more homebound and stuff. But I think there's a happy medium. And um, one technique uh, that is really helpful is to do a lot of visualizing, having a great time when we are being fully social again and really imagining how brilliant that kind of cold drink, um, you know, with a friend in the garden, like how great that will be. Um, And I think that's really important because often, you know, the unknown is always, it's very easy to be fearful of the unknown and new normal almost has become the unknown. Mm -hmm. So all our worries from the past can start to color what we think the future is going to be. But I think everyone is feeling just as vulnerable. I think that's the most important thing to note. And uh, no one is going to know. And also, I think we're going to redefine what normal is. You know, for me, this excessive socializing that I used to do, you know, where was that coming from? Was that actually coming from, you know, uh, you know, an unhealthy need for, as I said, like validation or to be busy to actually try and be a distraction mechanism from actually really like being with myself. So I think, you know, maybe we can go back to new normal and, It doesn't have to be, I don't think it's going to go from zero to hero. I think, again, like to remind ourselves that everything is our choice. And, um, and, you know, one thing I've heard from my friends in America who seem to have kind of gone back to normal much quicker than we have in the UK is, um, you know, they're they're feeling more more tired. Like after going to a, a dinner with friends, they get really exhausted by 11 because they're not used to that amount of sustained socializing. And they just said, yeah, I just, you know, it's really nice to see people, but I am going home really early. And also I'm leaving things that I don't find interesting. And before I would really care what people think of me and I'd really care. I feel like I wouldn't be able to leave. And actually I'm, I'm doing my socializing, but more on my terms. So from 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 
from what I hear um, across the pond, who are a little few a few months ahead of us, um, they're adapting, but in a way that suits them better. Mm. God, that's hope. That's powerful stuff. I hope that we can, um, yeah, take that into socialising the way we want to socialise, not just being a slave to socialising. Um, now, just a small small shout out because I know that you're a fan of Acorn Aromatic. Um, which we love you for. Do you think that, um, do you think the sort of like non-ALK movement um, can play a role in helping more of us socialise without compromise? Absolutely. And I think more and more people have moved to non-ALK over lockdown. And I think we've all, you know, been able to pursue, you know, non-ALK is, I do think, the greatest fuel um, for passions because you can still have all the fun, but wake up and have all the energy in the morning to, you know, pursue your personal passions. It doesn't have to be an either or. So I think that, I mean, honestly, I'm so grateful to, you know, brands like your own because I think it is just it is completely moving the needle for the, you know, for mental wellness. And it means that you can still get a good night's sleep. And, you know, sleep is the foundational bedrock to our mental health. And let's be honest, when we're feeling good inside, we are the best version of ourselves. And, um, and that's what I love, what Acon really empowers you to do. It, it like, you know, you can go out, have a super fun time you know, be drinking delicious drinks and not just the fizzy water and, um, and also wake up in the morning and go get the day ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for that little shout out. Um, just finally, Poppy, these are some questions that we ask everybody, um, while we wrap up. And so I'm going to ask you these five questions, just whatever comes off the top of your head. Um, so the first one is what makes you happy, happiest? What makes me happiest? Um, a good night's sleep. <laughs> you know what? It really is. A good night's sleep. A good night's sleep. And I have to add friends. A good night's sleep and a real giggle with my best friend. Love it. What are you most proud of? Um, mm, oh, good question. Um... What am I most proud of? I think um, maybe this book that I've just written. But having said that, I'm we're recording this a few months before. I'm not sure when this interview will come out, but we're recording this a few months before it comes out. So I've I've got definitely like book jitters, but I definitely feel very, very proud to have sat down and wrote uh, you know a 300 page book. Yeah, I like to read that. Um, what do people get wrong about you? A lot, actually. Um, yeah, I think that I hear this often uh, when people get to know me. They're like, oh, you're so different from who we thought you were. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I've had that since I was really little. Even every teacher used to say to my parents, oh, yeah, Poppy's very different from what we thought she was. And um, and um, so yeah don't judge a book by its cover I guess I think that it's very I think that um yeah I don't oh god it's, it's, I mean I'm like well so, so I don't know what to say I'm like god I could answer this in such a long like convoluted manner but um I think I think quite a lot but maybe maybe I don't maybe that I like kind of um 
Oh, I don't know. I probably, oh, I just, I don't know. Maybe, I think, I think, I th- I'll be really interested when my like f- friends or kind of people that know me maybe read my book because I think they'll be quite surprised um, at, like underneath because I think people who've met me over the years probably assumed that I was this, you know, probably quite confident and, you know, always just happy. And I think that um, they'll see the actual kind of, you know, the internal struggle that I don't think is often that obvious. Mm-mm. another good reason to not judge a book by its cover absolutely what's going on underneath what uh scares you um what scares me um so I, you know i'm gonna steal someone else's answer who i interviewed and she was like my greatest fear of is not mattering and I think that is probably true. It's like not mattering, I guess, and not, you know, being of service. Mm. I don't think you had anything to worry about. I mean, you're you're you matter to so many people. You're doing <laughs> such good work, and you you know help so many people. So, um, for next time someone asks you, you have to think of another question, another answer, because I think you really do matter. Um, and who would you love to be having a drink with right now, alive or dead? Honestly, it probably would just be my best friend, uh, Suki. Um, sh- like, we just have an absolute laugh. There is just not a time when she just doesn't make me crack up. So that would be my, honestly, just uh, would always choose to have a drink with her. And, um, but in terms of like quite um, someone I'd like to bring back, oh, Oprah would definitely would just love to have a drink with her. Um, and then someone from the past, um, I think... Ma- um, my- Maya Angelou um, yeah. I just think that she's just unbelievable I'd love to have a drink with her and Einstein I use Einstein quotes the entire time I honestly think Einstein is like my intellectual hero so I would love to have a drink with Einstein he sounds like quite a character as well I think he'd be he'd be quite a cool person to chat to yes or Alan Watts Mm. Einstein and Alan Watts to be honest this drink is growing but I'm okay with that it's fine <laughs> um and finally any any words to live by or a, a cool quote or inspirational words to leave us with yeah what is not for you, uh what is meant for you will not pass you by oh. I just always return to that because I think it's so easy to think that you're falling behind or you know I think that stops any feelings of jealousy or envy or um you worry that you're not on the right path or not doing enough or doing too much. Like all of those, you know, those little niggles that so many of us have. I think, you know, when I just remind myself what is meant for me will not pass me by. And I do have quite a, a spiritual belief that we are all complete, exactly where we should be. Mm-mm. What great words to leave us with. So, Poppy, where can people, um, when's the book out? When's that coming out? The book is out in June. So please pre-order because um, anyone who pre-orders will have free access to the manifesting course. Right. Um, And, pardon? What's the book called? The book is called Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts and Free Yourself from Anxiety. And, uh, 
And then the app is just Happy Not Perfect. And that can be found on the Google Play Store or the App Store. And I'm just at Poppy Jamie. And you can find me on Instagram and always love to hear from you and uh, answer any questions. Or if there's anything I said you want more research on or anything like that, happy to send anything your way. Poppy Jamie, this was an absolute joy. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Looking forward to reading your book. Oh, thank you so much for having us. Ah, that was such a wonderful conversation. A bit like a mental radox bath. I really love Poppy's approach. She always strikes me as being so curious, probing and really exploring the wonder of what happens inside our, inside our heads and you know helping us understand that we're not a slave to our thoughts and feelings that we do have the power to transform the way we think and the stories that we tell ourselves don't forget to order or pre-order poppy's book happy not perfect which is out in june i've just put my order in um, so looking forward to seeing you next time on spritzing hour with me claire warner co-founder of acorn drinks bye for now